This episode of Serverless Chats is sponsored by Lamigo. This week, Rebecca and I chat with Ant Stanley about serverless complexity. This is Serverless Chats, episode number 115. everyone. I'm Jeremy Daly. And I'm Rebecca Marshbrig. And this is Serverless Chats. Good morning, Rebecca. Hey, good morning. What a morning it is. Top of the morning. Yeah, so um, it's morning for us. Well, m- more morning for you, um, middle morning for me, and afternoon for our next guest, who I'm very excited to uh, introduce. So uh, he is an AWS serverless hero, a co-founder of A Cloud Guru, a co-founder of Homeschool from Senzo, a local organizer of Serverless Days London, and a global organizer for Serverless Days all around the world, um, and recently a new dad. Ant Stanley is with us today. Hey, Ant, thanks for joining us. Hey, Jeremy and uh, Becca. Good, good to see you too. It's been far too long. It has been. I haven't seen you in person. I don't even know when the last time was I saw you in person. Cardiff 2020, I think, Serverless Days Cardiff. Oh, right, right before everything sort of yeah. hit the proverbial fan. Um, so uh, are you going to reInvent this year, by the way? No. Uh, <laughs> I have not been on a plane since, since, I think, January 2020. And I think my next flight will be back to South Africa to see my family. Well, yeah, I'm. I think I'm. I think I'm on the same uh, in that same sort of uh, camp with you. Where last time I flew was back from Nashville uh, in 2020, and uh, I, I still, I, you know, I got things booked for reInvent, but I don't know. It might just be like a small gathering of about a hundred people that actually end up showing up. Yeah, I think AWS. Uh, I think if, I think reInvent will be, you know, maybe like 2015 size or 2014 yeah. size, like 20, 30,000 people, something like that. But it'll be significantly smaller than the last time we were all there. My favorite thing about that was watching um, Jeremy goes, I don't remember the last time I saw you. And Ant's like, checks notes. He's like, Cardiff 2020. I remember the same day. I remember, <laughs> I remember the day. I remember what you said. <laughs> it was like that. It was so I fast. remember every time I see Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. They're always unforgettable moments. Um, so anyway, so... Uh, 2020 is gone. We're almost done with 2021. Uh, it's kind of crazy that things have moved so fast. Um, uh, you know, serverless days has been a big part of uh, certainly the, you know my interaction with the serverless uh, community early on. Really, other than the virtual events, um, you know, the the virtual events that you've done globally too have been great. Um, but really, I mean, you know, just some of these start in person again. Uh, Paris just happened, uh, I think, last week or a week ago, when, or two weeks ago, whenever it was, uh, which is kind of exciting. But so besides um, having a baby um, and uh, and not flying on planes, what have you been doing for the last 18 to 24 months? Um, a mix of things. So what um, myself and uh, a partner of mine, Hannah Sevek, we, we launched a business called Senzo, which was going to do in-person uh, based training. We launched February 2020, and we were basically going to um, do kind of classroom-based training and enable instructors who've got good reputations to go and teach um, various tech courses, not just serverless, but we were starting with serverless around the world. And we ran one in-person class and then the entire world shut down. Um, and I don't think that business is going to be resurrected till 2022, maybe even later. But uh, yeah, so we had to do a rapid pivot and we launched Homeschool, which was an online-based version of that, um, basically taking a three, four-day course and turning it into a four-week um, four workshop effectively um, that people would effectively have access to to a trainer. Um, that was our big USB is around having access to a trainer. Um, yeah, and that, that business has kind of been ticking along um, and they have done some consulting work in between as well with a few different businesses as well. Yeah, so that's kind of kept me busy for the last 18 months. The service days thing has, it's obviously because we can't really be able to do um, uh, in-person events anymore. Obviously, it's it's quietened down significantly. But uh, yeah, it was great to see Paris open up and have their first event. Uh, there's a few more coming through uh, service days. Uh, the team in China um, have been doing really well. I think they've got three events lined up um, around China coming up and then hopefully we'll hopefully see more of the US and Europe in 2022. Hopefully, yeah, I'd love to see the, the UK events. I'd love to start planning London again. Um, but yeah, we just hopefully see the numbers start to kind of get back to normal. And we're not quite there. I think we're still a few months off that. 
in your typical, you know, casual way, you're like, oh, we just had to do a pivot from, you know, a three-day in-person class to a four-week workshop. Uh, that is not a small pivot. And I'm wondering if you, that's an incredible pivot, really. That's an incredible thing to be able to take box that, something packaged up that's like three days and turn it into four weeks. I'm wondering if there's any specific learnings around how you would transfer this in-person learning into this four-week workshop, which is uh, like a wildly spectacular depth of experience to, to give and, and to have. I think one of the, the key elements, we looked at what was happening in the online training space, and basically it exploded post-lockdown. Um, post you know, uh, as soon as the world went to lockdown, physical, any kind of physical education, uh, in-person education was basically yeah. a, 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 not an option. So every person um, and their dog was suddenly launching an online course, um, doing digital training, and we, we looked at it and saying, well, how we differentiate ourselves. Um, we've got this relationship with a group of instructors already that we've been building up for the, the Senzo business, the in-person training business. Um, and the, the big differentiator for us is always going to be access to the instructor. You know, if you do a lot of these online courses, they could have the, the good ones have 20, 30, 40, 100,000, 200,000 people who signed up to it. If you get stuck or you have a question, you're never going to, that instructor is never going to see your question because um, you'll be one of, you know, thousands, hundreds of thousands, um, even millions potentially who's done that course. So I said, well, actually access to, to the instructor is really important for a lot of these people because a lot of these courses are very low completion rates. You know, people pay for the course, never do the course. And that's a overwhelming majority of folks who pay for courses never complete them. So um, and I think a lot of that's because people get stuck. So I said, okay, how can we solve this problem? So the idea was, um, Firstly, uh, you know, let's give access to instructors. Um, and that was our kind of major USP is you'd have access to instructor. We limited the size of the classes. It was time boxed. So I probably spent more time figuring out the format and how to make that work rather than actually the, the, the technical work. Because at, uh, our learning management system, which we built from scratch, isn't that compli complex. At one level, it's a glorified playlist. Um, and then we've integrated it with a few other systems. So we said, you know, very like true service style. Don't build what already exists. Um, so we said, okay, how can we give access to the instructor? Um, so the one way was, okay, chat. Well, we decided not to even build chat. We just used Discord. So we've got a private Discord community, um, which as you sign up, you'll get added to. Uh, the other way was, um, you know, we wanted to do live video sessions. We wanted to embed it in the platform. Uh, we decided not to build even build anything. We just literally embedded uh, Vimeo. So Vimeo's platform, they have a live streaming capability that you can embed in private platforms. So we just did that. And if you actually look under the hood on our platform, it's like six or seven different pieces of tech um, tied together um, using AWS um, with a, um, a functional uh, UI in front of it. So that was a key element to do that. And version one of that took two days to build. Um, and then we just slowly iterated on it from that. But it was we had something that was good enough in two days, two days of technical work um, to, to get something up, of which I said the majority of the work was actually front-end. The back-end stuff is relatively simple um, because all we're really doing is orchestrating other platforms together. So you mentioned... Um... You mentioned everybody and their dog, and I do not recall seeing your dogs do a training video, which I think would have been uh, would have been kind of fun. It could have been a new thing, dogs teaching You're people how waiting. to do something. And I'm still, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to hold out um, uh, hope on that one. Um, but the other thing you said, right at the end, you said that the back end wasn't that complicated. Um, you know, that, that it was just a matter of sort of stringing a couple different services together. But then earlier you did sort of mention complexity. Um, you know, yeah. and so, I, I mean, that's one of those things where for me, serverless and, you know, serverless started for me as super simple. Like just, you know, again, you put a function up there. It was, again, I use this analogy all the time. It was like uploading to a CGI bin, but it really felt that magical to me. And then you start adding more complexity to it um, because you have to, right? Because you need to do more complex things. And of course, the cloud and distributed systems are very complex. Um, and you have to deal with all of the failover and you have to deal with the resiliency and you have to deal with all these different modes uh, in there and, and all the connectivity that happens between them. Um, and it does become complex. So I'm really interested, you know, sort of this 
this, um, I guess, what's the right word for it? But like, there's this tension between serverless being something that we're trying to sell as uh, as the next wave, and it's it's easy or it's it, it it's very powerful and it's it's an easier on ramp. But then at the same time, it's loaded with complexity. So I'm just, you know, how do you reconcile that in your brain? Yeah. So the the homeschool thing is actually a good a good example where complexity wasn't particularly large because of the the decisions we made about our business model which is basically going to be um a low number of students um we know we knew we didn't have to do a whole bunch of things um so we knew it was going to be a low low bunch of students uh, low number of students and we're going to offload as much functionality to third-party services as possible so because we made those decisions there wasn't a lot to do one of the pieces of consulting I've done this year is working with a startup who's subsequently launched, and they've got hundreds of thousands of users that they've picked up within days um, from launch. They had a pretty good marketing campaign leading up to the launch, and post-launch, they had a bunch of pre-orders, and they've now in hundreds of thousands of users. That is significantly more complex, and I think I've been swearing multiple times at my computer screen, at... AWS docs at various other pieces of tooling um, multiple times because it's not quite working the way you want it to work or there's something that's really complex that's, um, that really shouldn't be complex. And I keep thinking like, I've been doing this for six years. 2015 was the first time I wrote a service function. And uh, now in 2021, I'm going, why is this not easier? Um, you know, I made a, made a point of making homeschool as simple as possible to do but it's not particularly scalable. It's missing a whole bunch of things we wanted to do if we were going to go to thousands of users, but it's literally got hundreds of users. This other project, hundreds of thousands of users, you can't cut corners. You've got to do things properly from day one. And it's just some things haven't improved. Other things have. I think like monitoring observability is 100 times better than it was in 2015. Um, but, you know, some of the tooling is just still not there. What's your, your development life cycle is still quite painful um you know and there's no the easy path is is sometimes not that easy because there's a lot of opinionated tooling that uh <clears throat> that keeps you really tied to a single um way of doing things and if you go past that uh, you're a little bit stuck um yeah so like this particular project um we use cognito we couldn't use cognito groups Mm. Um, because we were going to have, because the way it works and the way permissions work on it, um, we were going to blow past the maximum number of groups you can have um, with with Cognito. So we had to re-implement that all ourselves. I'm going, oh, okay, this is a bit painful now doing all of this and then trying to implement. Yeah, we basically had to re-implement a bunch of functionality that exists in AWS because we had we would have hit a limit on what AWS can do. Um, and also just, yeah, the, the whole dev life cycle is really, really painful. I, yeah, I wanted to, to poke on that a little bit because is it a gap in the tooling or a miss in the limitation setting or is it a little bit of both? And I'm curious if there are like certain parts in the life cycle where you're like, I know what I would wish I would see here to help that life cycle be, you know, let's say a, a more round perfect circle or is it more like the limitations set on these things aren't actually optimized for the scale that you are seeing people want today? Uh, it's a bit of both. Um, I think, yeah, so like Cognito, for example, is a great service in terms of cost and performance, an absolutely awful service in terms of user experience and developer experience. And it's not that flexible. So, you know, if you're doing anything big, you want to use Cognito because it's going to be cheaper than Auth0 or anything else. The alternative is to kind of build it yourself. But to actually use it effectively is really painful. So a lot of folks then will then use Amplify with it because Amplify has simplified a lot of um, the a lot of the pain of dealing with Cognito. But then you now have introduced the complexity of Amplify into your project, which and we can't do everything with Amplify for this particular project. So we've ended up in that particular project with this bastardized hybrid thing. Where, where like 90% of the resources are defined in the service framework and then all the auth stuff defined by Amplifier and it's just a pain. Like it's an absolute pain to deal with because of these limitations, tooling limitations um, and, and also uh, the, the limits of the services as well um, beyond that. And yeah, I think, I think part of it is just kind of the way these things are built. You know, they are definitely built in silos um, and there's no real definitely from the AWS world, um, 
There's no real thought of that full end user experience. Um, you see the cybers, you know, dealing with AWS a lot. Um, so yeah, it's trade-off, I think. Uh, and yeah, this is where all the complexity comes in and then it becomes like, you want to build anything real, meaningful, that's secure, scalable, and all the good things. You have to um, have fairly competent engineers doing that. You need to have your seniors and your principals leading the way there. Um, which is a barrier effectively. Um, yeah. Do you ever take your real life learnings from your consulting work and then basically just turn it into a new course, like course for experts, course for like, like it feels like all of those things are so real that you're like, okay, this actually, all the struggle that I went through is a new course. No, I don't. So, you know, a lot of the, we work with a lot of uh, third party instructors and Yanchu is um, the burning monk is someone we've worked with a lot. Um, he does to a certain extent, but the time it takes to build a new course is quite extensive. And um, yeah, it's, and some of the, some of the issues I've got are, are, I found are relatively niche, but like you find enough of these, it's like, I'd rather this problem get solved mm -hmm. than me teach people how to work around it. Um, you know, it's, you know, I'd, I'd like to see a, you know, an application deployment framework that works across all the serverless services instead of, you know, SAM for this and this, you know, SAM for this bunch of stuff or service framework for this bunch of stuff or um, Amplify for this bunch of stuff. It's like, and actually get them all working together. You know, if you deploy AppSync, um, uh, the AWS console is going to tell you to use Amplify all the time, even though you don't actually have to use it. Um, SAM doesn't really have kind of first-class support for Amplify. Serverless Frameworks got support by a, a very, very good plugin, but it's not native support. Um, and then you've got these similar issues with Cognito and so, so as you build it out, you find you're just cobbling all these old things together, and it's just not a unified experience. Um, you know, and then you, you got to find the edges of it all the time. And you just one thankful thing I do find now is that if I have hit a problem and I Google, I find an answer ninety nine percent of the time. Um, whereas twenty fifteen, you put a question on Stack Overflow, and it was um, you know Tim Wagner who was a <laughs> GM for serverless answering the question at the time. So um, yeah, that that side community aspect has grown significantly and there's significant help out there and there's lots of discords and slacks and loads of help you know you will even just ask a question on twitter and you'll get answers um that part's definitely improved but it's you know why are we still in that space like why haven't they improved why is the tooling not improved also why is aws potentially not taking a more holistic view of all of this you know and take a view from a, a developer all right. And so um, yeah. you gave an interview recently um, with Corey Quinn, um, yep. and I believe your direct quote was reading it here, uh, quote, serverless sucks, end quote. Um, <laughs> and the uh, I think the idea behind that is essentially what you just explained, um, mm. you know, of, of these complexities and, and that, you know, you, you're finding your way around the edges. But at the same time, you you, you get tired of trying to teach people workarounds because those workarounds eventually disappear. And so I'm really curious because way, way back, you know, five, six years ago, whatever it was at this point, um, you know, you and uh, James Thomas and and uh, and Paul Johnson, you you started the Jeff Conf, which eventually grew into the whole serverless days things, um, you know, and you were all of you. And, and I think, you know, most of you still are very much into serverless and and love the prospect of what serverless is going to be. Um, and I think very early on, and you and I have talked about this before, where you know you sort of recognize this um, this paradigm that was probably going to take over how we do cloud computing and how we build applications, modern applications in the future anyways. So back then, five years ago, whatever it was, when you did the first JeffConf, you know, you you had a vision, I think, for serverless, and you saw you saw it as a solution to a lot of problems that we were dealing with, a lot of complexity problems, and so forth. So I'm curious, like, what you were thinking back then, whether or not now serverless has lived up to that vision that you know as is on that pedestal, right? And how you maybe and and listen, I agree with you. Serverless sucks. I mean, there are a lot of things that that are problems with serverless right now that make it hard to use. But I'm wondering how you balance those two things. Has serverless let you down? Um, or are we just still so early? No, I, yeah, I think it's there, there's there's two bits. Is first thing is is uh, familiarity breeds contempt. 
because kind of live and breathe this stuff every day, you know, you know what you had three years ago and you wanted to improve. I know what I had five years ago, six years ago, and you want that to improve. So there's frustration that this stuff hasn't improved. But the other hand, I've never had to run a container in production. So that's right. a whole world of pain. I do not know. And I never want to know. Um, I remember way back when with, with Tiger, when we were setting that up, we wanted to set up a blog. And initially we um, set up a VM with Ghost. And then the whole time I was thinking, like, I couldn't manage this thing now. You know, um, like just a simple, like we went out of the blog, Ghost, use Ghost, set up a VM. Uh, I deployed it, ran and everything. And we were even looking at using an open source LMS before we went to the route of, of um, building it serviceably at the time, this 2015. And it was just the thought then of like, I do not want to manage this thing. Yeah, it's easy enough to set up and going, but it actually is the, op the operational overhead and managing thing. Like, we just don't want that, you know. Um, we want our blog posts to go viral, viral and we do not want um, to manage it. So at the time, we went to Medium because Medium still was offering free kind of free blogs on your own domain, um, and that worked for us. I was like, cool, that's awesome. And that kind of that was probably the first step of us going, we don't want to manage anything, you know. And I'm still very much in that. I don't want to manage anything. I do not want to run a container workload. I do not want to run, look after container. I do not want to look after VM. Those will always be my uh, the last resort. So in that respect, what you can do with serverless is significantly more now than you can in 2015, 2016. There's so many more services out there. There's way more choice. But the trade-off with it, all this choice and improvement you've seen in the operational capability has been, I'd actually say probably a um, a degradation of the developer experience. You know, before you could you could only do a very limited number of things. Now you can do a huge number of things, and you can do the same thing ten different ways. Um, I saw lots of debates today about step functions because um, now you can integrate it with uh, synchronous step functions. You can integrate with every single AWS service. And I saw, I think it was Eric Johnson saying, "Hey, actually, you should use step functions as instead of lambda synchronous step functions instead of lambda." Um, invoked by API Gateway, and then someone else saying, no, you can't, you know, you shouldn't, how do you test this, yada, yada, yada. It's a new way to do things. Like, is it the right way? I don't know. Um, it's just going to add complexity. You know, everything is, here's another decision to be made. Um, here's another trade-off that needs to be weighed up. And service should be something that you can get going really quickly with and iterate on. And now, are you, you know, spending six months planning or four months planning what you want to do and making testing all your assumptions and making all these trade-offs because do you want to start with step functions for your synchronous workflows? Um, and then realize, oh, hang on, I've, I've had a problem with it and then roll back. Um, you know, so that's just on the decision-making. And then it's like, okay, tooling, what do we do with the tooling? How do we deploy this thing? How do we test this thing? Um, what does that development life cycle look like? Um, and that side's gotten significantly worse. Um, and so the capabilities improved, how developers interact with that capability is, has gone worse. And I think a lot of that's because the developer experience is a second class citizen um, with a lot of these platforms who are deploying. And it's not just AWS. Um, I've had issues with Azure and Google as well. I think right. Azure released a new, a new service um, and the SDK didn't have documentation. I've seen Google released um, a Firestore with a SDK that was 60 megabytes um, and things like that. It's just like with no proper documentation. Right. Uh, it's not, it's a, it's not AWS are the biggest fish in the pond. So, but everyone kind of has that problem. Um, but Cloudflare less so because Cloudflare are very limited in what they do. I like what Cloudflare is doing. It's a very, very limited offering. It would, uh, would be a replacement for some things you can do, but it's very limited, which is why I like it. And I would love to see a simplification of serverless. You know, going, hey, the, the, if you want a relational database, this is this. You want to, uh, NoSQL database, this is it. You want to run synchronous workloads, this is the way to do it. You want to run asynchronous workloads, this is the way to do it. And one option, you know, um, and here's your development workflow, you know, and one set of tooling to make that work. Um, but uh, I think we're way off that. You're living in a dream world, Ant. Come on. <laughs> now, I, I think, you know, you mentioned, though, with, with AWS, um, this idea of, like, you should be using step functions for this or, you know, there's a different way to do that. And I think that's one of those things where, 
we go down this road of a paradigm shift. Now, first of all, there's the first paradigm shift. If I'm a client server model backend developer, I'm very familiar with making an HTTP call, having something like Ghost on a VM or whatever respond to me and send me back data. I'm usually monolithic, even having the server on the or the the database on the same server. Um, that goes, uh, uh, there's a there's a big jump um, in the mental model when you go from something like that to even event-driven architectures, whether that's using containers or serverless or whatever. So you've got that big leap there. And of course, you know, breaking things up into single purpose functions and all kinds of stuff like that, all kinds of complexity there. But AWS, I think is, I don't want to say they're, new, they're unique in this, but they certainly do it to more, uh, to a, a higher extent, is the next paradigm shift that is to say, when you connect two services, Let's say the retry there. Well, guess what? You don't have to do that retry in your code. We'll handle that. And it started with, we'll handle it in our SDK. Great. Then all of a sudden, it's like, we'll actually handle it in the service connection there. So we'll do things like try it two times. If it doesn't make two times, we'll send it to a dead letter queue for you. Now, this is all stuff that is now configuration. Eric Johnson calls this configuration over code, which I totally agree with. I think this is a really interesting move because it takes complexity out of the hands of the code you write. It makes your code less of a liability because you're not worrying about trying to cover all those failover cases. Um, and of course, there's a million other little things that it can do, including like step functions completely eliminating Lambda functions in some cases now that it can um, communicate with 200 different services. So I'm curious from your perspective, like everything moves so fast. We've got people who don't even know what the cloud is, right? I mean, you know, we don't ha we have people who are just barely starting to deploy serverless functions or I mean again I like I, I agree with you love what Cloudflare is doing so maybe writing a worker here and there just to change some headers so they're starting to get into this idea of being able to run these things either at the edge or, or even uh, centrally in a region and doing some sort of manipulation so they're getting into this idea of moving into event driven they're getting into the idea of using these ephemeral stateless use cases or whatever but then all of a sudden it's like well yeah now though you want to build a real application you want to wire things together it's not just writing code it's writing code it's writing configuration to deploy the infrastructure that, by the way, there's five different ways to do, you know, uh, uh, web sockets, there's 19 different ways to deploy containers, there's, you know, a bunch of different ways to do these things. But now not only that, not only do you need the code, not only do you need the infrastructure um, and define the infrastructure, now you're writing configuration that actually is business logic inside the configuration of the infrastructure. And it just gets more and more complex, right? So I don't even know where I'm going with this other than to say, like, what what's your take on this? I mean, I think it's a good thing. But at the same time, it's another mental shift, another mindset change that, you know, developers, because they have to be responsible for the whole thing. Yeah, it, it's a massive mindset change. Um, and and that, I think that's a major problem for a, lot, for a lot of devs. You know, most folks, most early stage developers come in from a front end perspective, like particularly if you're at school in some sort of coding club or you're doing stuff, you know, you'll be taught how to build a web page or a mobile app or something like that. And then you might go to university and you know get into back-end development and that kind of thing. And but a lot of these folks, whatever they're getting taught is always a few years behind what is um, being used out there, what the kind of the latest techniques are. So we're still getting young developers coming through who just want to build client server two tier, three tier applications because that's what they know. Um, and they don't understand all the trade-offs, why you want to make workloads asynchronous. Um, and why you want to go event driven. So there's still a huge amount of education that needs to happen. And I think a lot of it has to happen at the primary level. I don't think these these concepts are hard to understand, um, but when you taught one way, you've got to say, okay, throw away everything you know there, and now learn the new way, the better way to do it. And also try and justify why. And it's so different to what, what they've been doing. Plus all the developer tooling isn't there, um, and it's not as smooth an experience anymore. There's still, you know, it's not just about you know, um, a paradigm shift, like a mental shift, but it, it's a shift in everything, like every, the way you work, um, what your feedback loops look like, um, you know, and also, yeah, and managing configuration, you know, um, Werner put out a blog post about two, three weeks ago talking about um, app config and more specifically talking about um, configuration management um, and talking about how AWS do uh, continuous um, configuration integration, I think they were calling it, a continuous configuration where you're version controlling your configuration. Right. So that's not just your your cloud formation, but it's actually your um, you know your secrets, your private keys, your the names of your databases, whatever your application configuration is actually controlling that. Yeah. So if we're going to be putting more logic into our configuration, 
we're going to have to be doing some sort of change control of that and testing that properly because a lot of people don't test their code. How often do you test your CloudFormation code or your service.yaml code or your, you know, do people, I know some folks do, and I know there is uh, there is tooling out there to do it, but most, most folks I know don't. Um, you know, at best, you'll, they'll run a linter on their configuration. Right. That's about it. Yeah, it's not easy to um, test. Yeah, it's not easy to test. And then, yeah, as we get more and more managed services of these more black box services, we have to test more and more of that. Um, so that, that it's it's going to be, our lives are going to get easier with this, but I think it, there's still going to be this more pain coming forward um, as that as happens, as people try and figure this out. Um, I saw a good comment from Slobodan uh, Stojanovic um, the other day on Twitter, and his thoughts on the whole thing was just like, just if, just do end-to-end -end testing, like start with end-to-end -end testing and work your way backwards because short-term, that's almost all you can do um, when you've got a black box service. And then as a service provider exposes more APIs, exposes more of the life cycle, um, you can test more and go further further back. So it's so like I think the entire testing paradigm is going to completely change because of that. You know, you're going to write your end-to-end -end test first and then work backwards right. um, and hope that catches everything. Hope that catches configuration errors and logic errors and all of that um you know so it's yeah i think yeah it's it's just yeah yin and yang it's like it's great benefit on one side but a pain on the other side um which is also a barrier to adoption so is this like right. in my head i always hear it as the snakes on a plane problem right. where i believe it's samuel jackson right he's like there are too many mother effing snakes on this mother effing plane and so is it there's too many developable developer tools in this cloud provider? Like, is it the developer tools to blame? Like we keep making these tools to keep solving these problems and those tools make it easier, but it actually makes it harder. Or is the complexity in that paradigm shift because of the challenges basically the cloud providers are, are building by way of not considering the developer experience, let's say as a whole. Is it the snakes or the plane, you know? Yeah, <laughs> both. <laughs> both, I think. I mean, in some instances where the cloud providers, the, particularly the individual product teams, are incentivized to launch products. If your job is to launch products, you're going to launch products, whether they're needed or not. Um, so there's there's that incentive problem. So there are there are a bunch of things that are not needed out there. Um, there's also the desire to not sunset products. Um, but uh, yeah. So maybe we should be sunsetting a few products and deprecating products, you know, and um, things like simple workflow seems to have slowly disappeared out of the world, for example, and cloud search has slowly disappeared out of the world. I saw a good tweet from Steve Bryan, who's a principal solution architect at AWS here in London, and he was saying, yeah, the year he joined AWS, cloud search got um, launched and simple workflow service got launched and something else got launched. And I was thinking like, oh, wow, those are three services I haven't heard of anyone using for years. And maybe we need to be doing more and more of that with some of the services and say, hey, let's look at simplifying choices and simplifying uh, the, the tooling around that. You know, if you have less choice, there's less tools to build, you make a, a simpler decision. You know, I love the idea of EventBridge because it seems to bring in the best of, uh, of many worlds. It's almost as if they said, hey, what are all of our users doing? Let's build a product that meets all these use cases, but they haven't necessarily removed some of the other services that are doing the use cases. Like maybe push SNS back to being purely for notifications instead of this pub sub thing um, and limit some of the tuning there and like slowly start to slowly start to kind of force users into a subset of tooling and then just keep some of that other stuff deprecated. And then, yeah, like I said, the other problem um, is, which I think is more a temporary thing, the, the tooling problem will solve itself eventually, but it's a pain that we have to take now unfortunately. And I keep banging on about it because I want it solved sooner rather than later. Um, and if providers prioritize develop experience um, as part of the launch, I think it would be, be solved um, a lot quicker instead of the developer experience is something we do after launch, um, which is endemic with, with all the providers, all the ma major providers. The small providers are a lot better with, with developer experience.
Hi everyone, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsor Lumigo. We've talked a lot about observability on this podcast, and if you've listened to any of those episodes, then you know that it can be difficult to achieve serverless observability with traditional approaches. Though serverless comes with many opportunities and advantages, it also has some unique issues that some tools just aren't able to address. And those issues really need something meant for serverless environments. That's where Lumigo comes in. As a serverless-first monitoring platform, Lumigo lets developers quickly and easily find and fix errors and performance issues while also giving you an end-to-end view of the entire transaction across services and functions. All of the debugging information you need is conveniently in one place, and you're able to set up alerts so that you know what's happening and how it might affect the user experience. Lumigo also knows how to play nice with your existing tool chain, enabling you to send alerts to email, Slack, Microsoft Teams, Ops Genie, and more, and can also create tickets in Jira straight from the issues page. Thanks to their automatic distributed tracing, it only takes four clicks to set up Lumigo with no manual code changes necessary. Sign up for free at lumigo.io. I think you you brought up a really good point um, around incentives um, and what the yeah. incentive is for teams at AWS to build new services. And I don't think it's just I don't think it's just AWS. But one thing that was really interesting, I just read this post today, um, and I forget now I'm forgetting exactly what they called it. But there was it's it's from Google Cloud, and it basically is an app, uh, a nebulous app, I think is what they call it, where they can run. Um, I think it's a reference to cloud, um, but basically they can run the same application on Google App Engine, on Google Cloud Functions, and on Google Cloud Run. So the same exact a- application, no changes to the actual application code itself, can run on these three different services. I'm not sure I know of three different AWS services that you can throw the same code at and it would run the same. I may be wrong about that, but um, but I just thought that was interesting how they actually positioned that as a, like, we're building this thing for different use cases, maybe, but we're also trying to simplify the fact that you don't have to write code for three different implementations of it and that you maybe can move or maybe graduate from different services you know, as your, as your needs change. But again, back to the incentive thing, I don't think teams at AWS, and this is nothing against uh, this is nothing against AWS teams because I think everybody there is doing amazing work, but they're just not coordinating with one another, right? You get the RDS proxy problem where two separate teams were building the same exact service because they weren't talking to one another and they're trying to solve it from multiple teams. Rebecca's pointing at herself; she apparently was part of that problem. Um, but I mean, but it's but that's the thing where I I I have a hard time reconciling this idea of saying. We want to build, we want to innovate, we want to launch new products that solve new problems. And as you said, sometimes maybe they're solving problems that don't exist. But rather than looking at it as an entire ecosystem and saying, what are we actually trying to solve you know, all, all the way? Not the micro problems, but the macro problem we're trying to solve. So I'm just curious, you know, expand on the in- incentives thing. Is, is that just... Is that just something where a company the size of AWS can't look at, can't look at the big picture anymore? Yeah, I don't think, like, AWS isn't one company, you know, they haven't really been for a little while now. When they were small and, you know, it was Jeff and Andy um, and Werner in a room, I think it was always a bit more than that, but, um, <laughs> but you know, they were one company, but they've kind of been split into separate businesses. And as they've grown, those businesses have gotten more autonomy, more, more kind of uh, decision-making power, more budget. I always kind of joke that the, the container team, uh, which is a lot more than just containers, you know, are trying to recreate AWS on top of containers. You know, they release Proton, their own CRCD tool, and you've got a whole developer tools team um, doing CRCD tooling. Um, and I think that's that's endemic. I mean, that is by design. That is the AWS, um, the Amazon, not AWS, Amazon organizational structure, huge amounts of autonomy, limit coordination, because if you're not spending time coordinating your, your building, but the problem is now you're starting to get overlap, but there's, there's a tax to that and they haven't had to pay that tax before. And now they're starting to pay it. You know, there's the, I see lots of people saying, oh, you know, we were hitting the limits of the two pizza team. If I were AWS, I would actually double down on that in the respect that I go, okay, let's break these teams out into completely separate businesses. So you're no longer, so they're doing a lot of vertical solutions now. So in healthcare and finance and, um, there's like look out for industrial, you know, make those separate businesses, you know, have have like Amazon medical sciences or something like that, that just does 
healthcare tech solution and had that as a completely separate business. No one wants to see, uh, I do never want to see a healthcare solution or blueprint in my AWS docs because it's never relevant to me. Um, and it's a very verticalized solution. So like take all of that out and then you know, launch a proper brand new platform um, that's for modern event-driven applications. Um, you know, that is its own thing. And that says, okay, here's your one database, one relational database, your one NoSQL database, your one way of sending messages around, your your stateful and stateless compute options. And, you know, like really, really limited, you know, and have those as separate businesses and let them all build on top of AWS. And for those, and I think they've tried to do that with Amplify, but Amplify is just a, it's a user experience. It's not actually, a, it's not an organizational change that really needs to happen because um, there's huge limits to what you can do in Amplify as well. It's really hard to break out of Amplify. Um, I think they, the option is is either start coordinating more, which is going to slow them down, or actually break those businesses out. And I think there's a point where break those businesses out, avoid the confusion going, okay, here's this cloud-native, event-driven, modern developer platform, which there's no VMs, none of the legacy stuff. There's only very limited choices, but it allows you to go incredibly fast um, in a safe, secure way. And here's your um, your legacy platform. And if they communicate, it's not within an account. They communicate over a shared integration, you know, identity layer, and that's it. Um, you know, that's maybe a better way to do things. Um, but what they've got right now, they're hitting the limits. They have to rethink, like, what's the next evolution of Amazon architecture? You know, it's um, it's Conway's law is is biting them really badly right now, and mm-hmm. they're going to figure out how how to get around that and what's the next step. Yeah, and we we had we actually had Ali Spittle on talking about Amplify, and what I find interest, interesting about Amplify is I think it's a great product. I think it's a good on ramp, and it's gotten more and more complex. I guess is the word that we can yeah. the word of the day. Um, but uh, it but what I find interesting about that is they had to build tooling on top of existing tooling to make it. Yeah so that you could actually do this, right? And so while there's a cool front end component to it, which I still think um, Amplify is more of a front end framework than it is, you know, sort of a full, uh, I guess a full stack framework, it does all the back end stuff for you as well. But again, there's another framework or another uh, set of tools on top of those tools to make this tool, you know, a, a, friend, a more friendly user experience. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um... It is, and that's also like why I've used Amplify for Cognito. It's like, don't use Cognito natively, use Amplify libraries because they make it a lot easier. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 pain. And I think now is a good time to make those changes. I've got a new CEO in place. A bunch of old guard have left for various reasons. Um, you know, and now's, now's the perfect opportunity. Um, Adam Slipsky, uh, uh, the new CEO is going to have um, a bit of time to make changes and hopefully Andy Jassy gives them the autonomy to say, okay, take this baby of mine and I trust you to make all the changes and bring the discipline and, you know, make it what it needs to be. I think that would be, um, now's the perfect time to do that. Um, you know, and I think if they don't, they are going to, you know, what's happened with Cloudflare recently is just going to continue with Cloudflare announcing the new, um, object-based storage, which, you know, overlaps with S3. S3 does a ton of things it doesn't do, but it overlaps, and that's just going to keep happening. Like, other folks are going to go, hey, we can challenge AWS in these niches, you know. Um, and if they don't address it now, in three years' time, it's going to be a massive problem. Now it's a small problem. Now it's a problem of the early adopters and the the fanboys and the folks who are, um, you know, you know, tend to go to the AWS console and check out a service, you know, two minutes after it's been announced. Now it's a problem for kind of the community that we're kind of in, but for the broader community, two, three years, is going to be a massive problem and they have to start addressing it now. Like you don't, you don't move the ship slow quickly. You know, they have to start, start looking now, like what is the future of future of AWS and what is the future of Amazon? I love the idea you brought up around almost, so right now it's maybe like we're in a, uh, AWS is in like a great, sometimes I still say we, even though I don't work there. Um, yeah. Uh, AWS is maybe in this you great You can't space. get away. I know They've you can't got ever their, get away. You, you will always be associated with it. <laughs> oh them. man. But there are a lot of, yeah, a lot of things that I'm proud of about it. So, um, so I'm okay with it. Uh, 
there's this idea, right, where it's maybe in this gray space where it's all AWS, it's all one big team, but really it's a bunch of organization organizations and two pieces of teams within them. And we all know they have that decentralized structure. But basically, it sounds like what you're saying, and is like, hey, make those actual fully whole businesses. So when these businesses yeah. want to work together, they basically have to work like partners would work together. And you have to reach out across the aisle. You have to have better communication if you're going to partner with this team. You have to like m- like state your case, and people have to come together, assuming that neither party has context on the situation, and they both bring their context. Versus, I think there's often potential. Uh, I'll speak for the whole organization when that's not fair to do in very broad terms in my niche experience, um, where it's like, oh, we we probably have the similar context because we're both trying to build similar things to to fix very different but similar problems for a similar audience, which is all this broad thing. And it, to like tie that back to um, the RDS proxy experience, right? I'm I was in the serverless org on the serverless team, we saw that there was this issue with databases. Turns out the database organization, which is separate than the serverless organization, also looked at RDS and was like, okay, there's a thing that we can do here that could solve a lot of things, especially for people trying to build in event-driven patterns. Um, And so both our teams, not knowing it for a while, uh, I won't say how long, but for a while, we're building essentially the same answer. Um, And I'm still not sure even if we took that idea and turned those organizations into totally separate companies, let's say, or totally separate, you know, pieces, um, that that would still be solved. Not to say you have to have all the answers here, but I'm wondering how what's going to happen is there are still so many solutions that would serve two separate companies trying to solve the same type of thing. Um, And yeah, I, I am curious if there's like a way that you've seen from the outside being able to deserve it for so long. If like, how do we, how do we siphon off like, yo, this is event driven architecture and anyone who's going to do anything around this is going to serve all of that. And then anyone who's going to do anything around databases is going to have to, you know, come to them first because they are the specialists in event driven architecture. Yeah. I, I don't think, I don't think you, you even do that. Like you, let them compete as 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 companies like if if you stop competition uh folks are going to get lazy like you see it so often where i see from a consulting perspective where folks just go all in on aws not because aws has the best service it's just because they have the best portfolio and some of the services in that are pretty awful um and some are great you know and on the balance it's got the best portfolio um if you separated a lot of those into completely separate businesses where they're not forced to work together, um, where they're all focused on, on meeting a customer need, like so like Cognito is a really good example, awful user experience. They have tons of users because it's in AWS and it's cheap. You know, It's the easy answer if you're using all of AWS. Um, if that was a separate company, that, that would be a significantly, I, I guarantee you their user experience would be significantly improved. Um, and they themselves will work to fix a lot of those problems. Um, you know, but today, you know, Amplify team have built a workaround that makes it workable and it's good enough, you know, and they're doing okay because they have millions of users, probably hundreds of millions of users, maybe billions of users on it. Um, but they haven't had to fix core problems with it to do that. Um, so separating companies out, like, like if maybe the Amplify team said, hey, we're going to build our own auth service. Like that'd be great because it would give the Cognito team a kick up the butt. Um, but if there's all one company, it then becomes really confusing. Um, whereas uh, let's say Amplify is a separate business, completely separate business. So Amazon web developer um, experience or whatever it is, or um, Amazon mobile developer experience business where they are not compelled to use anything else and they can go out and evaluate um, Cognito, Magic Link, uh, or whatever else, or build their own, and they decide to build their own, that's because they think that's the best option. And if Cognito loses that business, they should lose that business. You know, um, uh, a good example is Amazon Retail. Amazon Retail used Fastly for their CDN, um, which we all found out when Fastly had an outage, uh, because Amazon Retail was not compelled to use um, CloudFront. And same thing, you know, it's it's consistent. When you have these large groups and organizations are compelled to use other bits within within that organization, you know, if you're winning business just for existing, 
uh, you're not a competitive um, option. And that's like Cognito is the really good example that just wins business because it exists, not right. because of anything else. Um, you know, and there's a bunch of other services in AWS. So yeah, you're going to get some duplication in that, but it will give some real incentive to, um, for those separate businesses to actually perform and, you know, get rid of the gray area where we're separate businesses, but we're all under AWS with a unified sales team. That's like, hey, change the brand slightly, give them full autonomy, their own budget, they live and die by their own decision and they don't win business because they exist within a portfolio, you know, um, and let the third parties compete, you know, let Auth0 have a, you know, make the marketplace more prominent and, and compare native offerings right up against marketplace offerings, you know, like Amazon.com does, you know, uh, half of Amazon retail revenue is from marketplace. You know, um, AWS should do the same thing. Let marketplace come in and compete with the with the native services, because um, long term that's the only way Amazon grows and actually provides world class services. Right now, they've got a bunch of subpar services that that exist because because it's part of a, a strong portfolio. Right, and and that's actually really interesting. That you mentioned the the competition aspect of things because I always look at AWS, and you also mentioned like you know breaking off a biomedical division of um, you know biomedical yeah. services division or whatever it was you said for AWS. And I think that I think you make a really good point. I think AWS has a lot of really strong services like bedrock services, Lambda. I mean, it's great. DynamoDB, amazing service, right? There's so many EventBridge, awesome service. Um, but then you you're right. I think they build a lot of subpar integrations or services that sort of fill the need because it's just good enough. But then they maybe spend too much time um, trying to force that uh, solution on you. Whereas if AWS focused more on building primitive services, like a, you know, like a GraphQL AppSync, great service, right? Fine. Uh, Lambda as a, as a uh, serverless compute or a fast model, EventBridge as a, as a uh, uh, corporate event uh, bus or whatever, like those make a lot of sense. But then rather than you trying to, you know, stuff everything together, have different organizations like an Amplify team that says, hey, we're going to build a set of tooling and a, and a set of, of controls that connect the best services together to give you some sort of use case outcome. And rather than AWS sort of forcing people to try to integrate with all these different things to keep it within the ecosystem, they would probably be better off, you know, launching these separate segments that are like AWS for web developers, AWS for data engineers, like whatever, and then having a way to organize those services around that. Because you're right, then you could plug in Fastly if you didn't think CloudFront um, was what you needed. Or you could plug in Cloudflare workers instead of CloudFront functions. But instead, they build CloudFront functions because they're like, we have to compete. We have to give users a way to do this, um, even if it's not the best service and, cer and certainly isn't best in class. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, um, and these changes take time. You know, um, right. AWS is, or Amazon's famous for uh, making decisions early. Uh, I saw a good interview with Jeff, Jeff Bezos, and he says, like, his, his exec team, at the time, all they think about is the future. They do not think about the now. And I think Andy Jassy's team needs to be doing that now. And I think um, Adam Slipsky's team needs to be doing that um, as well. They're going to be thinking, like, what's the future? And they've got to make those decisions now and spend the next two, three years kind of rolling it out. Because if, if it's a matter of maintaining the status quo, um, they're going to hit limits. You know, you could see in three years that that growth that they've had down the very low, you know, 10%, 11%, not the 30, 40, 50% they've had now, which for them would be would not a disaster because, you know, 10% growth on a five fifty billion a year business is still pretty good. Right. But, you know, compared to what they've had, it's like, okay, this is the slowing down of their business. And that's when you start to see the competitors slowly catch up. Um, and by that, I think I'm thinking more the cloud players of the world, the more agile organizations. Um, I think Microsoft have a bunch of other problems, but Google's also actually, I've been very surprised with, with Google's performance over the last few years. I expected them to fade away and they haven't. So um, the more time they give their competitors to sort themselves out, um, which, is which was exactly what they're doing now, if they maintain the status quo, they're just giving competitors time to fix themselves and get and become more competitive, the more the market they're gonna lose. Um, so yeah, you know, I, I I enjoy what AWS do. I love the platform. Um, I just think they are doing themselves a disservice at this point in time. So I have two spirits I want to dance with. 
one, in the spirit of life cycle, I want to bring this back to the beginning of the conversation. And two, in the spirit yeah. of Senzo training and the pivot that you had to make um, yeah. from in-person workshops or in-person classes to multi, you know, four-week workshops. Um, I want to talk a little bit about training and about really to base that in transferable skills. Something that really strikes me about you, Ant, is that you today focus on all things serverless and you say cloud and GraphQL and Node.js. But then you also talk about, even in like your bios that are around, um, uh, how many things you've done in tech. So your first job in tech was doing Y2K upgrades um, of workstations running OS2 Warp in 1999, which I think is amazing. Um, and then you wrote VB6 for a living. And then you were a MySQL database admin for a few years. So you've done all these things. And um, something that I'm so passionate about it that I have been for a long time, but especially my new role, is this idea of transferable skills and this idea of how do more people get into tech. Um, and a lot of ways people can do that without necessarily a, a super deep technical programming background. There's all these things to do around that, other things that support programming, that support um, services like what AWS and Google mm -hmm. and Azure have. But what you did there, like it's like you know running OS2 Warp in 1999 and now focusing on all things serverless and cloud, there's clearly like, there are a lot of skills that you grew in one place and then could apply them to another. And I, I'm wondering for people who are like, okay, I wanna make that leap or I wanna make that jump or perhaps I wanna start getting into like focusing on serverless and cloud, but I've been in companies who haven't done that or haven't had the opportunity to challenge myself or in that way or whatever it is. Um, do you have any like ideas around what transferable skills you've taken with you that have really allowed you to to move into the serverless and cloud and GraphQL space? I think there's a couple of things. Um, there's the old cliche of just being learning how to learn is probably the, the number one skill. Um, I think I've been able to, to jump and do multiple different things in tech because I've always been open to it. Um, I'm in the example in, in the 90s, a good friend of my, my parents got made, um, lost his job. He was working for a large multinational in South Africa, and they moved to SAP. Uh, this is, I think, around 99, 2000. And my parents' friend um, lost his job because he was old mainframe dev, um, and they were uh, shutting down their this particular company, shutting down their mainframe. And he basically had the same job for 30, 40 years. And basically, you know, instant early retirement kind of situation. And one of my friends was actually on the project going in to implement the SAP. Um, uh, at that time, I think like I, need, I told myself I never want to be in that situation where I've done the same thing for 30, 40 years and suddenly I get replaced. Um, one of the advantages we've got now is, is with the birth of the internet, it's so much easier to learn. Information is so much more accessible and the pace of innovation has increased. It also means a lot of technologies we're using today are not very old and actually there's new stuff being invented all the time. So actually to become an expert on a piece of tech, now you don't need to have 20 years experience in it. You could be, you know, writing React for five years and you'll be a world acknowledged expert. There are folks who are acknowledged experts in the world in React who are two, three years experience writing React. Um, that's a really good example. And they're totally valid because it's a really pretty new, new technology. You don't need to have 20 years experience in tech to be an expert in that niche. And um, so you can learn something really quickly. You can become a serverless expert really, really quickly. You know, I'm seeing folks who adopted serverless last year and they've been doing nothing but serverless over these pandemic times. And now they're creating courses, launching products, and they're really going for it. So part of that is, you know, being open and being able to learn. And also don't think just because you've got six months experience or years experience or, you know, not a lot of experience in your area that your experience is not valid. Like all these new areas of tech, um, you know, you, you don't need a lot of experience in there to be good at it. You know, if you're doing it every day, you're becoming a craftsman in it. Um, you know, you can get there in six months to a year, two years. You can be an expert in that area. So I think, you know, don't let let yourself get in front of yourself. Like, don't, um, yeah, don't stop yourself. Like, just because something's new, something, actually, if something's new, that's when you should be jumping on it because, hey, there's no one else doing this thing or very few other people doing this thing. Um, I think that's one, but, you know, so learn how to learn. Don't be afraid of, of new stuff. You can become an expert really quickly. You could be speaking at conferences really, really quickly, particularly the newer the tech. There's less knowledge about that. And any knowledge you gain through learning 
you know, reading blogs, doing the stuff, you know, being becoming a practitioner, you can then share with folks. Um, yeah, so I think, um, yeah, learn how to learn, don't be afraid, um, and also share, you know, the whole um, learning in public thing. Um, what you've learned, share with others, and that's a good way to advance your career. Um, yeah, and definitely don't, yeah, don't let yourself get pigeonholed. Don't don't be like my parents' friend who basically um, was almost forced into early retirement because had a bunch of skills that were no longer relevant, um, and you know, in his late fifties, couldn't mentally couldn't couldn't bring himself to reskill. You know, um, you know, don't don't do that. Don't mentally shut yourself self self down into one particular area. And I think, like they say, there's no um, compression algorithm for experience, but that's the yeah. thing. Everything that I've done in serverless, I mean, I've been doing this stuff since 1997, not serverless, but all this other stuff, yeah. um, you know, and uh, and essentially you start seeing these patterns that emerge that are, oh, I remember this. I, I did this before, or I did something very similar to this, um, yeah. you know, and again, the flavor of the week, there are a lot of flavor of the week type things. I, I would say serverless is not a flavor of the week. That is going to be a dominant paradigm when it comes to cloud computing. I think things like React and Vue and SPAs, I mean, we're already seeing a shift now to like, you know, server-side rendering and all the problems that come with some of the, the you know, the heavy, uh, uh, you know, you mentioned the 60 megabyte or whatever it was for a Firestore, right? You know, like there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of reasons why, you know, things fall out of favor. But I think that, I think, these new technologies need the experience of people who have been doing this stuff in the past um, and learning a new, a new framework or learning a new, um, you know, new programming language or a new service or whatever, um, taking your past experience and applying that to um, uh, to this new thing is uh, is incredibly powerful. And I think, you know, hugely important probably for, um, you know, hugely important for the people who are building it to give them that feedback, because I've seen a lot of things being built by people who are very young, who don't have that experience. And then they just run into the same problems that we all experienced, you know, 15, 20 yeah. years ago. So also an interesting sort of take on that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, um, yeah. So in terms of switching, yeah, like it's your your experience will always be valid, particularly if your development experience. I've done everything from dev to sysadmin work to the works. Um, it was really interesting uh, with the Facebook outage recently and all the BGP issues of going, hey, I know that stuff. Um, so I used to work for a network company. I used to work for Level Three Communications, and um, yeah, so I have a pretty good handle on network. I've had to deal with it for five six years. Um, every now and again, it comes in useful way. I have to deal with the VPC, but I try and avoid them. Um, but yeah, your past experience is always going to be valid. I think the, a lot of your experience, your past experience will be things like problem solving, um, just patience, just dealing with, um, like learning how to learn and, and like your soft skills are definitely the more transferable ones. And then, you know, your architectures and patterns are always transferable. Like serverless hasn't introduced any new architectures or patterns. It's just made them easier, right. you know, event driven architecture design existed before serverless um microservices existed before serverless you know so yeah um all this stuff is transferable yeah and you've got it so much easier today too like if you haven't cut yourself trying to work inside a physical server then you just you haven't lived and now these kids have it so easy today it's crazy kids these days I've got some more stories. I've never never bled inside a data center, but I've done other stupid things. <laughs> I've never bled inside a data center. That is honestly the first time I think that has ever been said on this show in the history of all 120 episodes or whatever it's been. <laughs> Well, anyways, um, all right, we're pretty much out of time, um, and but anything you know that you want to kind of talk about in terms of training or um, you know just like what is what is that now? I mean, you're big into training now with Senzo and, and the stuff that you're doing there. I know you're you know again trying to do some pivots and trying to figure out um, you know the best way to move some things forward. But um, you know what what advice I guess would you have beyond the transferable skill thing in just terms of people who want to get started with serverless? Like what's what's the best training out there? I mean, are certifications worth it? I mean, where where do people want to go? I think honestly, the best way to learn. Um, so one of the, one of the service barriers is understanding your platform first. Um, best way to learn is always by doing. Um, so at one level, like you know, I say you know, go out and do one of these relatively cheap um, intro to like cloud practitioner type courses. So they'll give you a base level understanding of the cloud, and they're pretty easy. Like, do not get daunted or like intimidated by it. They are pretty easy. But then when you're going to take the next step into serverless, like do it one step at a time um, and build something, build stuff. 
you know, read tutorials, um, the early stuff, like you'll learn more by doing like most of my learning is by doing, um, not, I've never done a serverless course in my life. Um, so yeah, learn by doing, um, find a project to build, whatever the next thing you want to build, build it serverlessly. Um, and also try and focus as well to a certain extent and like focus on what you'd learn, uh, what, what worked well, what didn't work well. Um, and then the other thing is interact with the community. Like there's big communities out there, service days events, which will be start kicking off a lot more next year. Um, yeah, GitHub issues is a weird place to ask questions, but some, some of the, um, like service framework folk on the GitHub issues is actually quite helpful. Um, you know, and get, you know, stack overflow, join the community, the slacks and the discords, get involved, uh, actively put yourself out there. Um, you know, don't, don't sit behind a computer screen and get frustrated if stuff doesn't work. Um, but yeah, like learn by doing, learn, definitely learn by doing is, is for me the best way to do this. I, um, I can only 110% agree with, um, start interacting with the community. I think, uh, in terms of like digital communities, non-physical communities, being in the serverless community or around it or, or in watching how people interacted with it, um, was is a truly special experience, even as someone who doesn't come from a background of programming, right? And so there's such a, a welcoming nature there that all I can say is double down what Ant said, get it, get interactive with the community. Um, but Ant, that about wraps it up. I want to say, you know, keep keep learning essentially is a, is, is a great way to end, but, but also I've never bled in a data center, I think is probably the best way to end. Um, so with that, thank you so much for joining us and for sharing your, your knowledge with all of us and, and listeners in the community. How can listeners find out more about you? So your Twitter, what's up with Senzo, serverless days, organizer information, we'll put it all in the show notes, but give us a little rundown about how people should get in touch with you, where they should find out more. Twitter is probably the easiest way, um, at I am Stan on Twitter. Um, Senso.io and homeschool.dev are the two websites, but they're both going to be refactored, relaunched um, in the coming month or two. Um, we're going to be doing a few few things to change things up there. Um, our focus there is going to be enabling um, uh, enabling experts to teach others, um, and we're going to be doubling down a bit more on that. Um, so, so yeah, there will be a few changes there, but, yeah, just – Follow me on, on Twitter at I am Stan. Um, yeah. And check out serverlessdays.io for any yeah. upcoming serverless days conferences, some of them happening in person again. So um, still a lot yeah. virtual, but, uh, but so much learning to be done there as well. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Stan. Thank you so much, Ann. It was so good to have you. Yeah, it's been great to chat, as always. And that's this week's serverless chat. Rebecca and I want to give a huge thank you to Ant Stanley for being our guest this week and to our sponsor, Lumigo. If you want to check out the show notes and a full transcript of this episode, you can find them at serverlesschats.com slash 115. For more serverless chats, subscribe, sign up to be an insider, check us out on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can connect with Rebecca on Twitter at Becca Odele and me at Jeremy underscore daily. And if you want to keep up to date on everything serverless, make sure you subscribe to the Off by None newsletter at offbynone.io. Thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to chatting with all of you again next week.